It's November 2018. Having endured 12 rounds of chemotherapy and eight weeks in hospital over a nine-month period, this husband and father of three sons is fighting for his life with a rare form of blood cancer. He has six to 12 months to live or find a miracle. I knew I couldn't go back. Changes your you just put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to live. She's dug even deeper. Luck is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I could not. That was the turning point. Hi, I'm Phil Cogan. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast, where I talk to mavericks, innovators, and disruptors. People who take chances, those who swerve off the predictable road, face their fears, and refuse to say no. Amazingly resilient people who are motivated and tenacious. Those who have said bucket and who epitomize what it means to ticket before you kick it. They do say, be careful what you wish for. In January 2017, New Zealand author and comedian David Downs decided it was time to lose weight and spend more time with his family and friends. Then a few weeks later, he thought he had a mild dose of flu, which got progressively worse, and after a whirlwind of tests, David found out he had advanced cancer. Suddenly, he was on an aggressive course of chemotherapy. Undeterred, this Kiwi funny man decided to maintain a positive mindset believing wholeheartedly he would beat the disease. This story plays out like a movie. Here we go. All right. I want to start the whole story November 7, 2017. Okay. So not that long ago. Yeah, so what happened then? So that was the day, that wasn't a very good day. Um, that was the day that I found out that my cancer had come back for, I think, the third time that time. So the doctor called me up. I'd done a PET scan like the day before and I kind of knew that, you know, if the doctor calls, it's not a good thing. You know, you don't want the doctor to be calling. So she called me up and I was, and I'd already said to her, you know, please just tell me, don't wait and sugarcoat it. So she said, no, the cancer's come back again. And, uh, well, that was a bad, that was a bad news day. Yeah. Yeah. That was a tough day because she said, basically, statistically, you've got less than a year to live. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, hmm. Okay. Now, had you been told that throughout the year at various times? I've been or? told that the, the, the odds of success were getting less every time that I talked to them, you know. So it started out, you know, 60, 80%. Yeah, we got 80% success rate and then it went down and then it went down and down. This was, by this time, it was like down to 6%, you know, a chance of success and, you know, a year or less to live. So that was pretty sobering. How, um, does, how do you cope with that? Oh, uh, look... First of all, it was it, there's a little bit of a there's a bit of a denial thing that goes on. I mean, it's a standard human reaction is that you go, I don't believe that's it. That's not you know, me. That's not me. That's other people. That's what you hear happens yeah, to yeah. other people. Statistically, that might be true, but you know, I'm young and I'm fit and I'm healthy, and you know, if it wasn't for the cancer and the chemo, I'd be fine. So there was a little bit of that denial going on, but also it kind of galvanised me into action as well. I decided, well, I'm so not. So are you living differently because of what you heard that day? Yeah. Um, Sort of the future narrows down to like, right, what's the next couple of months going to look like? So instead of thinking, you know, what's the next few years? What are the kids growing up? You know, what about retirement? All that kind of stuff. The future just goes right, whew, you've got this short-term problem and you've got to fix it. So kind of all our effort in my mindset was going, what am I going to do in the next couple of months to, um, to, to raise my chances of success, basically? Not put up with the less than a year to live thing. So you immediately, you, you hear this news, you're thinking problem solving. I, I got yeah, to go into some sort of problem solving and I got to take some responsibility for myself. That was the other thing. Um, <clears throat> up until then, because you, when you're a patient, when you're in a hospital, 
It's a very passive thing. Yeah. Things are happening to you and you're kind of lying you're in bed. You're losing control. Yeah, and that loss of control, I think for a lot of people that's one of the hardest things of being sick, any kind of illness. Because you need to feel, I think, humans need to feel in control of their environment. And if as soon, I used to do that when I was in hospital. I would, I would always, every morning and every night, I would tidy my room. And I'm not a particularly tidy person. This was but just you just needed something. I needed something to. I need to rearrange things, put the magazines away, you know, just tidy up. And it felt like then I was in control. And it was the same sort of thing. So when I got this news, I went right. I have to be in control. I can't leave it up to the doctor. Even though I love the doctor, she's amazing. I trust her implicitly. I feel like I need to get into control of the situation. So, so tell us about uh, David. Like people in America, they don't know who you are. But no. I mean, I, I remember you because you're. Yeah, you're a little famous back in the day. Yeah, it was a while ago now. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I think there was a little more curly hair at the time. That's and right. Well, that's the chemo. I'm blaming the chemo for the lack of hair this year. Yeah. I started my life and career as a comedian in New Zealand, a stand-up comedian. When, back in the days when there weren't stand-up comedians, we kind of invented the, the idea in New Zealand. I, well, I just cannot it. imagine being a stand-up comedian in New Zealand because you know yeah. how Kiwis are. They're like... Yeah, whatever, right? Oh, yeah. Say something funny. I think he's funny, doesn't Yeah, he? yeah. No, there was definitely that kind of atmosphere in the in the ni- early 90s when we started our first comedy club we set up a club in Auckland that was definitely the case so we had to educate kind of the audience on what this thing was when to laugh when to laugh yeah did yeah. you Ba-dum-tsh. give them a few beers and we things didn't hold up those you know hold up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly yeah yeah alcohol will go a long way to uh, to making people laugh but was, I did that for a while and uh, worked in television and film and, and this was early in, in all in my 20s and that was a good time that was fun time and yeah. Kiwi humor is quite different isn't it I mean yeah. In America now, people have been exposed to Flight of the Concords, yeah. which is crazy. The, the fact that yeah. it, it's translated, like Americans are laughing at our humor. But how would you describe New Zealand humor? It's, well, they're a great example. It's a self-deprecating, kind of ironic, uh, a little bit sometimes sarcastic humor, but definitely all about you know putting yourself down and and uh, and looking at life in a weird, in a slightly quirky way. Why do way. you think we do that? Why do you think we put ourselves down to make fun? I reckon. There's a little bit of an inferiority complex sometimes, which now manifests itself as comedy, which is not a bad thing. And also, I think um, Kiwis make make a virtue of being humble, you know. In fact, to to our detriment at times. And you come to America, uh, and uh, and and you need to be a little bit more brash, a little bit more stand up straight, and put your chest out, a little bit more confident. But Kiwis actually back home, if you did that, you'd be going, "Oh, pull your head in." Yeah, yeah. it's not a good part of our trait. It turns itself into humour, and and the humour is good. And you yeah. know, Flight of the Concords you mentioned is great. Taika Waititi is another fantastic kind of export from New Zealand but actually on the whole I think we need to be more confident as a race you know as a, as a people particularly when we come to other cultures you've got to adopt their American accent so you went from being a comedian and then you worked in the IT business for a That's little right. while yeah yeah and, and you headed off overseas to, for that and yeah I worked in uh, I worked for a big American corporate at Microsoft and um, I did a stint in, I've heard of them yeah, yeah they, they were big in computers big. there for a while yeah, before yeah kind they, of they're doing okay aren't they they're doing okay now. Yeah. When I was there, they didn't, you know, it was flatline for like 15 years the whole time I was there. But anyway, I, I worked in Singapore for them and, and around Southeast how Asia. How does a comedian go? Uh, how do you go from being a comedian, making people laugh, and then you're working in the yeah. computer business and it's like, uh, yeah, well, we're going to change the bit rate on this. And I mean, how do you. It's so credible, too, by the way, you just said that. Yeah. I can tell you, you know a lot that, about computers. Oh, I know that's so true. much. That's so good, yeah. 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 We're gonna but I mean, the bit isn't rate. that hard to make that shift? All of a sudden, you're, yeah. you're like, everybody's laughing at you, and the next minute, you've got to be a credible. Yeah, I never hide the fact that I that I used to, that I'm used to be funny. I'm not funny anymore. But I, I don't I don't think you should mistake being serious with being solemn. 
Yes. You know, everyone goes around work environments and they're all very solemn and it's all very, you know, important. And But actually, I think that's crazy. I think people are at work for almost as much time as they are with their family. They should they should enjoy themselves. So yeah. I go out there and I'm, you know. You have a fun time. Yeah. Although in Asia, that doesn't always work because I, I used to work all across Southeast Asia. So sometimes you get, you've got to temper yourself to the environment that you're in at the time. But... But um, no, it was it was a gr- it was a great time. Yeah, team kind of took a turn for you, right? It did, yeah, it did. So the, in the beginning of 2017, um, which is like 14, 15 months ago, I just felt like I had the flu, <clears throat> and I felt like maybe I was. That just was run nice, down. by the way, the way you went <clears throat> like, like that. that. And so, you know, I, you were, I just did that a little bit to make were, myself yeah. look sick. It's yeah. all good. Yeah, I'm an actor. So You're buying into the I'm whole good, thing. Yeah, yeah, I know how. Yeah. So you, you and I had, men I, are terrible, by the way, when they're sick, aren't they? Well, first of all, I did what every good man would do, and Which I ignored is, it. Okay. For as long as I could. And then you probably drove your wife nuts. Yeah, and she kept saying, "You should go to the doctor. You should go to the doctor." And then what had happened is, on New Year's Eve, like all good people, I gave myself two resolutions. I said, "I want to see more of my friends and family, and I want to lose some weight. I want to lose like twenty pounds or ten kilos, roughly." Yeah. And um. Come like January the fifteenth or sixteenth, I think I weighed myself, and I'd already lost those ten kilos. And I went, ooh, that's not so good. Because <laughs> I don't remember dieting that hard. And then I lost another like few kilos. So probably another like 10 pounds probably. So I got, I lost like an enormous amount of weight very fast in about three weeks, four weeks. And so when I did go finally to the doctor, my wife told me I needed to go. My boss at work told me I needed to go. And were they you said, looking ill? Oh, like no, people were the other way around. People were saying, gosh, you look great. You've lost a bit of weight. You're looking oh, really? really slim. And I was going, yeah, but I feel terrible. You know, I'm really run down and... I'm lethargic lethargic or? can't breathe all that sort of stuff but i just thought it was a flu anyway so the doctor who's very you know couldn't couldn't find anything and so he sent me off to the hospital and this was like this happened so fast like from feeling i had the flu to going to the doctor as soon as i was at the doctor she's going you're going to go to the hospital i'm going to give you a, a scan and see what's going on and then <clears throat> i was in the waiting for the scan and i was looking around and there's all these sick people and i'm going I said to Catherine, I don't need to be here. There's like proper sick people here. Like, yeah, they need, just they the need attention. Yeah, there's people like with stuff bleeding and things. I, I'm just, you know, feeling a bit down. Yeah. But uh, lo and behold, they've scanned me and they discovered I had a huge tumor in my stomach, which is like literally the size of a, of a volleyball. But it was weird because it's a... Uh, Sorry, it how here. Like that size? Like, no exaggeration. No exaggeration, about six or seven inches. And what... Around. <clears throat> massive cancer. What do they call yeah. it? Tumor. Tumor, yeah. And, um, and I said, wow, because I never noticed. Like, I thought you would notice something like that, but you don't. It, yeah, I mean, the, what, what you notice is, is it's it draining all your energy. Is it shaped or does it no, sort of fit into the, it fits in between yeah, all the yeah. organs and everything? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was the problem because we said, why can't you just cut it out? And the fit, well, the first thing was it's a lymphoma, which is a blood cancer. Oh. So it's like leukemia, but it's a white blood cancer. So they said, well, first of all, even if we could cut it out, that would be no good because it's all through you. The cancer's like in your blood, so it's everywhere. And this is just one lymph node that's just gone crazy. Um, and it's growing all around the bits of you that are fairly important if you want to stay alive. So, so wow. This all happened, as I say, like in, you know, a day. This is something that you think other people get. Yeah, this yeah. This is not something you think is coming your I way. I think it's human nature to assume that, every, that you're different than everyone else and everyone else lives by a different set of rules. I mean, right. that's just kind of, I think that's how we protect our kind of identity. So right. I was always of the opinion that, yeah, other people get sick and that's really sad. And, and that's really help sad. Them. Yeah, yeah, but not me. I won't get sick. And then when you do get sick, it's like, well, sure, other people die from this, but not me because I'm special. And so you've got to... That's quite a hard thing to get used to. And, and the doctor was kind of coaching me a few times saying, David, you've got to entertain the possibility that this might not end well. And I was going, yeah, but 
It won't. It will. It'll be fine. Yeah, it, what's your relationship like with your doctor? You, you said she. So is yeah, she's, she's amazing. Yeah. So has she been your doctor for a long time? No, so this was my hematologist. So basically, when I went to hospital, yeah. you immediately like you whew, you go right up the importance ranks in hospital. So suddenly you're um you're being seen by all sorts of important people, and so she's a hematologist, which is like an oncologist but for blood cancer. Um, and yeah, and we got it. We ended up with a very close relationship because, as I say, it was like a year and a bit of, of working together. Um, yeah, so she basically said, We've got to do chemotherapy on this thing, we've got to shrink this tumor down. And initially, the whole the point was actually, it's, it's going to be okay because this you've got lymphoma, yeah, it's pretty advanced, you've probably had it for six months or more, but it's the kind of cancer that we can treat. You know, we're going to treat you with the idea that we'll cure you. So this is where you come up with the idea that this is just a mild form yeah, I was of going, cancer. Yeah. yeah, I call it a mild dose of the, of the cancer. And, and you called like. it that and then what you decided that yeah. you would share this story with other people. That's what, right. What, what made you decide to do that? I immediately, well, I love writing. I've always been a bit of a writer. And, and, uh, and I also knew nothing. That was the other thing. I realized how ignorant I was about major illnesses or cancer or hospitals or all that sort of stuff because I lived my life living, having to be through that. So it's, the day I got diagnosed, I started writing a column for a, a, a newspaper in New Zealand, an online newspaper. And um, and then every week I wrote a column. And so it was cool. It's great. I'm did glad did I it did create it. a bit of a following? Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, big time. Why do you think people connected with it? Uh, well, it's it's quite funny because I, I talk about all the things Are that happen. Are you sure it was funny? Well, it, or did people mind, just feel sorry for it's you? It's a Kiwi funny. It's yeah, definitely a, ki- a self-deprecating okay, ki- humor. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot in there about the effects of chemotherapy on the adult male body. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, including hair loss. Um, and why you should never wear boxer shorts when, you're, when you've been through chemotherapy. Why is well, that? I went into work one day. I, just, I was feeling quite sick. It was about a month after this. I went into work and I, and I was stupidly wearing boxer shorts. I should, no man should ever wear boxer shorts unless you're a boxer. But anyway, I was in there stupidly wearing boxer shorts because my, my nephew had given me a pair that said good luck or something over the boxer shorts. Walking around the office saying goodbye to people because it was basically I was going into hospital permanently. And I looked around and there was this little trail of pubic hair on the carpet. And I was going, oh my God. You know, I can see this. So I was like crawling around. Are you telling me that the hair came out of your boxer shorts? Correct. Went down the inside All of the your leg. All the inside my trouser leg and escaped out the bottom like Colditz, that movie where they put the, the sand in, the, in their shoes. And, and so I was going around picking it all up. But the more I picked it up, the more there was on the floor. So I thought, I've got to get out of here. And I sort of ran down the street to where my car was parked, leaving a trail of pubes behind me. I'm and so glad you did this this column because well, I wrote you've saved that. so many men from that leaving their pubic hair everywhere. I know. And imagine that in five years time when there's like a DNA test of something that's gone down. and You've go, left your DNA in more did, places than... Please, Mr. Downs, can you explain why your pubic hair is all over lower Auckland? So, well, <laughs> let me tell you why you shouldn't wear boxer shorts, officer. Yeah. Okay, so I get it. So people are now doing this. And the whole time you're keeping a sense of humor because you only have this mild case of cancer. Mild case of the cancer, and, yeah. And it's all going to go away and it's yeah. all going to end well. And yeah. so what am I worried about? And I'm going to have some fun with this. That's right. And I'm going to learn because I'm, I'm curious about things. So I was asking lots of questions and, that you know, all through the beginning, but they're giving you bone marrow biopsies and... The, you know, which is two bad words put together, you know, bone marrow and biopsy. Yeah. And you the, add those two words is, together. This not is good. really painful. That's huh? painful. They have a big needle and they're shoving it in. But I thought, wow, this is interesting. I'm never going to have this again. Let me right. understand this. And they gave me like this laughing gas thing. And so that was, I was always interested in stuff like that, just to so, find out more about it. And I knew I was going to get through. Initially, I knew I knew I was going to get through until right. I got, you know, a bit of bad news. Okay. So yeah. when does this happen? The, 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 the well, this bit of bad like, news. 
about a month after I got diagnosed, and as I say, I was kind of in it, and you know, it was fine. Yes, I had chemotherapy, and my hair was going, so we shaved it off. We had a big fundraising thing where I shaved my hair off and raised some money for charity, and then, and then I got the first of the calls from the doctor saying, "Oh, we've just got your DNA tests, not from the pubes, a whole other thing." Um, <laughs> where were well, you there were no pubes thing? left for <laughs> testing. Right, exactly right. You left them all over Auckland. You should stop bringing up all my pubes all the time. You're the one that brought it up. No, I'm pretty sure you. No, were the, you yeah. brought it up. Anyway, and she said. Uh, we've done this test and we've realized that your particular strain of lymphoma is one of the nasty ones oh and i went oh okay you didn't tell me about this possibility well, of a she nasty didn't, one she didn't know right she didn't know so they've done this analysis and it turns out i have a particular genetic you know makeup or mutation thing which meant that the chemo that they were trying at the beginning which they had full confidence of about an 80 to 90 percent success rate suddenly wasn't going to work it wasn't going to be strong enough they said we actually have to change the chemo regime it's going to be a much tougher regime no more kind of just swanning in and out of hospital for day trips you're going to have to stay in hospital for quite an extended periods of time and it's and it's tougher on the body and i was like oh that's not but it, it already has been tough right yeah it was already a little bit tough yeah so it now it's tough. you're thinking okay it's gonna what? get tougher hit okay. me harder yeah yeah hit me harder and she was great because i said um okay what's happened now in terms of odds of survival she said well unfortunately and they're very honest doctors there'd be terrible car salesmen because they tell you everything that's ever going to go wrong you know yeah. they go yeah here's what could happen you could lose this this could fall off you know these things could uh you know it's been scratched do you want to buy the car yeah no i don't want to buy the car but that's what they do when you're going into hospital right you know you've now got a 40 percent success rate not an 80 percent success rate um you know it, it, more things will happen to your guts it's going to be really tough on your body etc etc anyway sign here and come on in so but you've got no choice so, uh, so we went, yeah, I then basically had to end up going into hospital and staying in hospital for weeks at a time for, for like six doses of, or maybe oh, six, seven, eight. It turned out to be 11 or 12 doses of um, chemotherapy in the end. And every time and, it was and, incrementally And for those harder. people who don't know what that's like, yeah, going, having chemo, how do you describe it to people? Yeah, it's, and I'm, this is why I'm glad I wrote the column because there's a lot of mystique about it. First of all, and it's going to sound crazy because you know this, but first of all, chemotherapy is chemicals. So basically you are literally getting bags of chemicals pumped into your veins. In fact, I had a special thing inserted because I was going to be in hospital time. They put a, like a port. It's a portable. Um, sorry, it's a, a permanent. Yeah, permanent like, fitting. like Iron Man, you know, where they've got this thing in his chest. So I had yeah. a thing here and there's a big scar there. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 See, well, it's not that big. I get, I'm trying to get a bit of sympathy from my scar. But um, I got it taken out the other day because I got fed up with it. But it was there for like a year. And that's where they could pump the drug straight in. It was like a thing went up there oh. and it went straight into my heart. And so that was getting these amazing so bags oh, and bags of Oh, because you chemical. have the blood cancer, they, yeah. they, they, that's the best way to distribute it. Straight into the kind of the mainstream. So you're, yeah, yeah. you're putting poison in your body. Literally and, poison. And when you're, when, Literally, when you're yeah. feeling that going in your body, it must be this yeah. horrible feeling. Yeah. Because you know, you, you it takes over for every time, every infusion was a five day cycle. So I was permanently on these machines, putting the stuff in for five days. And you, you do just feel yourself getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And, and then it actually keeps going after they stop putting it in for another couple of weeks you know because I'm at home then feeling bad and so your whole body is get, basically getting eaten away because the thing about chemotherapy it's an amazing science really but it's a it's a very inexact one so it basically goes in and kills any fast growing cells in the body that's how chemotherapy works so cancer is very very fast growing that's the point it's going it's but then the it's also killing the good cells Correct, as well right here um, it's, it's not, gut it's, lining mouth oh. lining whole lot of stuff like that. That's why you get all the side effects of, you know, that people think are of cancer are actually of the chemo because the chemo is just killing all the stuff. And some people react better than others to the 
chemo. Do, is, do you know why? Do you know Some why? Some people have a little bit more tolerance to certain things, but over time it kind of gets you. Like it's yeah. a it's an accumulative effect. So the first one or two, I was going, "Hey, this is a breeze. I'm fine," you know. Yeah. And then after a while, it's like, "Oh my god!" And then by the end of the year, I was grey and gaunt, and all my hair and eyelashes and everything's gone, and and I look, you know, terrible. Skin well, how's and that? Because you've got three kids. Yeah. So uh, your wife, obviously, she's older. She can yeah. kind of deal with it. She has some perspective. But how do you how do you share this with your kids? Yeah, because they, they physically see you deteriorate. That's right. And they're three kids. They're basically three teenage boys. Um, they were incredible through the whole journey. We had made the decision really early on, and I, you know, it wasn't even necessarily conscious because when I decided to write about it, we were saying, "Oh well, they have to be quite public." And yeah. I said, "I'm going to tell everyone everything because you know, why not? I want to learn about it." And so that meant the boys had to know about it too. And, that, and initially that was like, okay, it's kind of an adventure. Dad's going on a bit of an adventure. We're going to go and beat this cancer thing. And it's going to be, you know, it's going to take three to four months. That's what we first thought. Um, but as it got through there and it got worse and worse all the time, it got harder and harder on the kids. And they, they didn't like visiting me in hospital particularly because hospitals where it all comes crashing, the reality comes crashing into you. You know, yeah. you're in a bed and there's things coming out of you and there's and it, there's a and smell in hospitals there's a smell. and there's a feel. But, but you, you did something to sort of help counter yeah. that whole sterile yeah. environment correct because I, I had to be in hospital for so many times for so many and weeks at a time and um it was actually Catherine, my wife's idea and she said well we're actually going to make this more fun because for, not just for you but for your visitors and for the boys and so every time when i had to go to hospital i pretended pretended that um instead of going to hospital i was going on holiday Hmm. And I oh, went, did you go to some interesting places? I did. We Where went did to, you go? First of all, we went to Fiji, one okay. of the Pacific Islands. And yeah. so we dressed up the room with palm trees and lava lavas and ukuleles and, and everything like that. And, pe and all, my, all the visitors, I said, anyone can come visit, but you have to come in costume. And then we went to Ireland one year, went to Dublin, and we went to uh, Vietnam, uh, Paris. So all these different places. You really places. got around. Yeah. And it was really cool. And it, all the doctors and nurses really got into it because I'd make them all come in and I'd dress them up as well. Like they'd come and do their morning rounds and I'd say, and, come and on And all the time you're still writing your column? Writing my column. Yeah, yeah. Every week? Is, yeah, every, so, yeah, every so, week. So, so the, the readers are really living this no, following with you, along, ups yeah. and downs. Yeah. But at this stage, while all of this is happening, there's a chance now. Yeah, you don't. You're thinking maybe I've got what nine months or exactly. right. Well, it's an ever decreasing chance of success, unfortunately. So like that for that period there, it was as I say, it was I made I made fun of it. And at the end of that period of what should have happened was the cancer was gone. You're all yep. clear. So actually, we did a scan and the cancer had shrunk remarkably. And so we were going yay, and we had a little party to celebrate prematurely. And then, unfortunately, so that's like, the good news. That was the good. That was the high. You know, yeah. it was all yeah. We did it, and it, you know, it was tough, but it, you know, that was, we're through it. And then, unfortunately, like a month later, we did another test. I had to do another follow up, and they said, oh, oh my, and there's a new tumor. So that one's shrunk completely, but there's another one down here, and it started to really. That one really hurt. Previously, this one hadn't hurt, but this I one down here. I didn't know that cancers hurt. I was always told that yeah, cancer. If you get a pain or whatever, it doesn't. The cancer itself doesn't hurt, but. It was right next, this one was right sitting on my kidney. Ah, so it was hurting because it was pressing against Pushing you. on nerves and, okay. and growing and pushing kidneys and stuff out of the way. And really, really, like I was, that was like, oh, that's, that was a bit of a bang. And um, so they put me on some pretty cool, you know, wicked painkillers and things like that. So this so, was, so, so, was getting okay, worse Okay, so the good news is the, the, the initial cancer has shrunk. Yep. The, the bad news is now you've got this little this tumor pressing against your kidney. Which means that we didn't get it all is basically the problem. They said, well. And now what? Now that so that at that point, this was like the first time the cancer came back, and they said, right, we're gonna to have to do another type of chemo. So I did another few rounds of chemo. 
you know, I had to go, keep going back and back and back. And then, and then that one also, same phenomenon, it sort of shrunk it a bit, but they said, well, we think we need to do this thing called a bone marrow transplant, where basically, which is just as horrible as... And, and just to be clear, the, the, the reason for that is because the marrow has blood in it. Correct. Marrow is part of, your, of the bones, all the white blood and all the blood cells get grown inside the marrow. So the and idea then, that was going to nuke the entire, they call it like rebooting the system. Yeah. So basically nuke everything that's inside there and start again. So they kill off all the cancer with pretty wicked chemo, like really full on. And then I was scheduled to go into the hospital and I was going to have to be in hospital that time for like six weeks and it was complete, you know, dry conditions. I couldn't get visitors apart from the family. It was like, because you'd be completely susceptible to z- disease. Um, your whole immune system has been nuked. You, so you've got your three sons. Yeah. Um, you're trying to protect them as much as possible, but they can see what's happened, happening can, yeah, to you physically. See, yeah. You've got your wife supporting you. Yeah. But then your doctor becomes very attached to you as well. Yeah. And she's delivering some news to you. And what happens? She's, it was tough because she's basically, we found out she's the same age as me and has young children. In fact, she's a little bit younger than me. And um, she was really tough because she knows, you know, the probable outcomes for this sort of stuff. So she actually, this was when the cancer came back the second time. Um, she called me into the hospital and we went in and she actually burst into tears. It was quite emotional. Um, but in a beautiful way, like in a really empathetic Did you cry with her? Cause- no, because I, I was kind of knew what was going to happen. When you get those phone calls, like I say, the doctor was calling me and saying, I need to talk to you quite urgently. Can you come in like in an hour? You kind of guess what's happening. <clears throat> so I kind of go, okay, right. Let's focus on what I can do about this. Mm. Catherine's a bit upset. Catherine's throwing things around the house, actually. She won't like me saying that, but she did. Um, well, how could... But I mean, why not? That's that, a normal that, human reaction. That, yeah. So I, it was up to me, bizarrely, to be the kind of the calm in the storm. So, and anyway, so we went to the hospital. I ended up going and buying some coffee because I thought, well, bring us, bring you know, the doctor some coffee, see if we can calm the situation down, you know. And she was all emotional. But then she goes into right business mode, you know, and that's just the, that's the nature. I found that... But that's got to feel so good for you too that you know she really cares yeah and this is what i found about everyone in the medical profession doctors nurses even the people that you know the administration they're there because they really care you know they're not there for the money they're not there for the glory of it they got really hard jobs so these people have amazing empathy as human beings so but but at that stage they had no other options so she said we think we should do the bone marrow transplant anyway and i was going oh okay so i had to think about it i said "I, i respectfully i don't think i don't agree with you on this one how why were you so bold in making that choice well because i this was going to that control thing we talked about earlier the fact that i wanted to be a bit more in control so through this whole period where it was getting like the news was getting worse and worse all the time Catherine and i had been researching and trying to understand more about the science behind this and what was really going on and what were the options and one of the things we discovered was there were potential trials that were happening clinical trials that were happening for new, whole new ways of treating cancer and anna the doctor had told us about some of these things too how oh so she told She'd you about said, some there's these things coming in the pipe but really they're a couple of years away from being reality and definitely here in new zealand because we're a long way from the kind of the center of the of the medical universe you know you're not going to have these options available to you for for quite a while yet so i said well okay this is the problem solving mode i said well i i think i'd like to explore that anyway you know so we went home we we Googled, and then this amazing set of coincidences happened. This is the the amazing part of the story. Is so where are we now in 2017? This is like 2000. This is like November now, 2017. So this is so when you've it, had, had what like ten months. Time, yeah, ten months of chemo of of a of it getting crazy worse and worse emotional and worse. roller yeah. coaster of good and bad and yeah, and trying to keep the family together and all that sort of stuff, and and all my friends and you know and my 
my mother and my father and all this sort of stuff. So and so I achieved another. I achieved two of my. You remember I said I had um, my New Year's resolution was yes. to lose weight. I did that. Yeah. I, lo- I lost like thirty pounds Careful in, what a, you in wish a week. For. And my second one was to see more of my friends and family. Well, I saw a lot of them because they visited me in hospital all the time. Yeah. So you've got you, to. Be- you, you really did have uh, uh, people really rallied around you massively. Didn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah so you've got that, to be more specific with your goals, though. Is what I found out. So yeah. You. I, I want like, to see more of my I friends and family. I want to lose weight, but not with cancer. Correct. And right. I want to see more of my friends and family, but not but in not a hospital room. Not when I'm room. sick. Yeah. So I've learned that for next time. Yeah. You've got to be more specific. You've got to get the T's and C's right. Yeah. yeah. But no, but it, it, I, I does, it does tell you who you're, who, who really cares about you in life, right? Oh, and so many people reached out from, from my past. And so they, I felt like there were thousands of people behind me, like supporting me. And I thought, well, I can't give up on them. You know, there's, a, there's an expectation that this is going to end well. So, um, so I thought, right, we've got to do something about it. And then, as I say, the amazing thing that happened was because I'd been writing these columns and they're quite, they're in a, like an online, you know, newspaper, I got this email like out of the blue literally from you know someone i'd never heard of and he said um i just wanted to connect with you say thank you for the columns as a physician myself uh, i love reading the patient's perspective and if there's anything i can ever do to help you let me know and i went okay this was so i sort of filed that information and then when it all went pear-shaped i looked i found that email again and looked him up and he was like the head of head of immunology at one of the big pharmaceutical companies and i went wow so he might be someone who can help me so i reached out to him this is the day, literally again, the day that the doctor said, your cancer's back for the third time, David. This is really less than a year to live. Worst case scenario, we don't know what to do. This is, maybe we should explore palliative care and going into hospice. This is literally the conversations. So and I was going, well... Hold on a second. There, that's what you're presented with. The yeah. idea that you're going to go into a hospice and somebody's going to look after you and yeah. that's it. And that's it. And just sort of quietly pass away. Yeah. Okay. So that's pretty confronting. Right. And as I said, I wasn't willing to accept that at that point. Right. I said, no, I think I've got another option. So I look, I went back to this guy, Michael, his name is. Yeah. Amazing guy. And I said, what can you do, Mike? This is the current situation. Here's all, here's all the tests. Here's all the things I've done. And he said, leave it with me. I'm going to connect you with a couple of people. And wow, within 24 hours again, he had connected me with some researchers who were researching my particular type of cancer in Just Harvard. Just by chance. Yeah. That it was your cancer. Just yeah, I was just so lucky that this is. They've been researching this particular approach to cancer therapy, and they've started with blood cancer. Um, and it's I'll talk, I'll talk more about it in a second. But basically, he wanted to connect me with these people. They they rang me over the weekend. This was a doctor again. Same, we found out ladies the same age as me. There's a whole thing. and he was at his kid's soccer game and called me and had a great chat for about an hour. And I said to him, why are you talking to me? Like, I'm this crazy guy at the other end of the world for you. And he went, but that's why I went into medicine. I went in to help people. And yeah, we help big populations and we do numbers and statistics and studies. But at the end of it, there's a human being. This is an amazing thing about doctors. They're incredible. So he said to me, I said, I'm not your doctor. And I, all the caveats of the world, but I don't think you should do the stem cell transplant. And I went, good, because I don't think so either. What else can I do? And he said, well... I think I can get you onto a clinical trial, but it has to be here in Boston, in the US. About as far away as you can go without coming back again. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, but I said, okay, if that's my option, let, let's explore it. Um, so that was an amazing thing. So uh, he connected us with the hospital people. The hospital people said, yeah, we think you're a, you're a good trial. I had to then ring my doctor on Monday morning. This has all happened over a weekend. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, um, respectfully, again, I'm, I'm gonna disagree with your advice because, and you know, it's the, the cliche thing. I met this guy on the internet and he's got a much better treatment for me. And she's going, 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. and this is this is one of the pet peeves of doctors right oh, yeah, now, where have... everybody is self-diagnosing. Doctor Google. Yeah. 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 Oh, Doctor Google. Oh, so she's going really, David. And I said, no, no. He's and he's she's legit. a friend of yours. Let's, By this know. time, we we developed a very good yeah. rapport. Yeah. And so, she, so, but so I then... said, look, let me send you through his details and the white paper that I found that he wrote. And she called me back and said, well, he is this guy's the this real guy's deal. Legit. He is the he's written the papers that we read and we go to conferences to hear from and. If you've got the, she right, so it you the gotta, gotta, you, that's going to make you feel. I said, that's good. Okay, I'm in the right crowd. Um, I've definitely got it. And it was for this treatment. Um, so basically, they're, they're exploring a whole new way of treating cancer. Instead of chemotherapy, like I mentioned earlier, it's just like this blast everything in your body. This is a technique where you're using your own body's immune system yeah. to fight the cancer. So you're basically re-enabling the, the, the immune system to do its work. So this is all good. However, yeah. it comes with a price tag. Yeah, and so this is the roller coaster ride of my last right. year. Right, so it's all good. We, so I was we, like, hey, I've got, we know um, what to do. I've got an option. Uh, and then they say and it'll they only say, cost you a million US dollars. Okay. Plus expenses. So about a million and a half, they said, count on by the time you're done. And this is like, I went, oh. And of course, coming from New Zealand, we have universal healthcare. It's kind of a central payer system. We, I had paid nothing for healthcare through the whole thing. And then all of a sudden, it's a million and a half dollars, which, I, yeah, I was going, I'm a bit short right now. Maybe yeah. can I just sort of owe you? And the hospital were quite, I mean, they were good, but they were pretty strict. They said, no, you're a foreign, you know, you're coming here. You've got a you're a self-payer. We need you to pay the whole lot in advance. And I went, oh my God. So, so, what, what, so what happens after that? It was panic material because I don't, I don't have a million and a half US dollars. I don't think anyone has that kind of just lying around. But um but anyway, so we, I told, I, you know, I told my friends and family, we're going to go for it anyway. I don't know how we're going to pay for it, but we're going to, we're going to, we're going to explore this. One point five US is what two million New Zealand yeah, probably, something right? like because that, of yeah. the exchange rate. Correct. Yeah. So this is a lot of money. It's about you know you could buy an extremely nice house for that. Um, so basically, I told a few friends and family and said, okay, I'm going to go into we're going into problem solving mode again. Yeah. This was the thing though, because at this time I was even though it was pretty bleak, I was like, oh, you know, this is I've got control doesn't sound like I've got control, but it's a mental thing. If you feel like you're in control, it's much better. So I was going, right, I need to contact the bank. How much money can I borrow? You can borrow like half a million dollars. Okay, cool. That's great. That gets me a deposit or something. That's good. Now, right, we need to sell our house because that's the only way that we can release any kind of cash. So let's get the real estate agent around. We'll put the house on the market. It was all this sort of stuff. We had to make sure that the, particularly the kids were going to looked after through this because it was quite a disruptive This is all over a few days. You but know? you're also good. You've got to be thinking about the fact that if all of this yeah. doesn't work out you're yeah, going to now leave them with this correct spent the debt, family and jewels. now you've gone and yeah i know that was exactly the left scenario. your pubic hair everywhere i know exactly <laughs> all they'll have to remember me is a little vial of hair um yeah no i had to be very careful there and then uh, you know i was talking to my, my medical insurance and my life insurance people saying what options have i got and, and and then a friend of mine in new zealand who heard about this and i didn't want them to but they did a like a public funding campaign and they they like a GoFundMe type thing and that went very well didn't it yeah 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 I was, and so I was people humbled. now on your are you are you letting people know about yeah again this i was really open and, and honest and i wasn't i wasn't i hope i wasn't asking for money because that wasn't my point i was just saying whoa this has now happened this is another you know every step of the way i was honest the whole time and, and are people when you're writing your story are people also writing back to you yeah, yeah. and you're conversing with yeah, some people yeah and, some of them and, and more 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 and more actually over time as people went on and i got to and they're sharing their stories and yeah and everyone's because got a story. who doesn't cancer affect i mean it's if it's yeah. if you haven't got it then somebody in your family Correct. has you know? you've had it you know someone you've gone you got your own cancer story so anyway this they raised a bunch of money it was amazing and then my friends put on a comedy show support show all my ex-comedian friends and and um all, and so that was a very very humbling like for me over this one week so not only facing the potential of death but also 
opportunity to get on a clinical trial. I hadn't yet been confirmed and this money thing was a problem, but people were helping. So it was like real, that was a really emotional couple of weeks. So then you you you, you go for it. Yeah. Then you I say, I, I've got the money. I'm going to go for yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know how I've got the money, but I'm going to get there anyway. So we, we actually, so it's a huge leap of faith. We'd been bouncing back and forth with the hospital about certain things and particularly the money thing. And they were constantly going, and I just said to Catherine, let's just get on a plane and go and meet them. Because right. when we're human beings, not numbers or telephones or emails, they'll know us. So we said, we're going to be there on Tuesday. Can we meet the doctor then on Tuesday? And can we meet the, the billing department? And, um, and they organized it all. And on the way to the airport, I got a phone call from, from the hospital saying, we can't let you have a meeting unless you've paid us the deposit, which is like, we've decided it's $750,000. And I said, well, it's Sunday in New Zealand. I can't give you that money. So I tell you what, here's my credit card number. Go for it. Max it out. <laughs> Judge whatever you want. <laughs> but I'm getting on the plane. Um, anyway, so we got, we got on the plane, met the doctor. He's an amazing guy. It was, you know, it's a long trip. Met the doctor. He said, yep, I think you're a good candidate for the trial. I think we can get you on. Um, I think when you're, all the scenario you've described, you're, you, you know, we can expect some good results. We hope we hope we for good results. We went and saw the billing people and we started to negotiate with them. And I didn't know you could do this. Naive Kiwi coming from the other side of the world. I didn't know you could do you this You can either. negotiate you, with the hospital. I, it was like you were buying a car. Really? Yeah, I was going, yeah, yeah I like what you're doing, yeah. but there's another hospital down the road and I think they could give a better price. You, you seriously looked, negotiated? And it was true, by the way. And they were going, oh, okay, well, what sort of price are they doing? And I'm like, well, they've given me this wow. option. okay. And then, they, and then they were saying, and also they're giving, you know, I could do a payment plan. Can I do? And they said, oh, okay. We don't normally do payment plans, but what sort of payment plan were you thinking about, Mr. Downs? I go, okay, cool. How about I give you a small deposit up front and then I give you the rest later when it's worked? And it was like, and they were going, okay, we can do that. Maybe like, I pay for the results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had a performance pay sort of arrangement. So the whole thing was quite enlightening. And it was weird because I was the guy, and I'm the sick guy having these conversations. But again, I felt like I was in control of this. So um, anyway, we... They accepted me on the clinical trial. We negotiated to be a, pay, pay like a deposit of only a hundred thousand US dollars instead of a million and a half. But you know, still a lot, just of a lot of money. But anyway, we managed to scrape together a hundred thousand dollars of bank loans and stuff. And then, um, and then, and this was all happening just at latter stages in uh, December. And then they said, right, you're in the clinical trial. Good news, you're confirmed. But we need you here. It's Christmas Eve, oh, no, or it was Boxing Day, the day after Christmas. So. We then, and this was like with a week's notice. So we packed up the kids because you, know, you can't leave them at home for Christmas. And we, we took everyone and we went to Boston. Okay, so you turn them at Boston. Yeah. And then the first thing they need to do is they need to take your Yeah, cells. take the blood. Yeah, so the, the, the process is they're taking the, the blood cells out. They, they're separating out the, the T cells, which yep. is part of the- um, Your the, T cells the, are what fight disease in your body. Yeah, so when you get a cold or What's a flu- What's the T stand or, for, by the way, do you know? Uh, I don't know, actually. I think they're just called B cells and D, T cells and things. They might, they probably have a fancy medical name. Probably. But, but they're, uh, they're the guys they're that the, we need. The hunter live. killers, yeah. yeah. And they're going around the body normally. But the problem with cancer is it kind of hides. It like it looks to the, your immune system like any other cell. So it's basically hiding it's in It's a tricky sight. little thing, isn't it? Yeah, and they're growing really fast, but they're not, they're not visible. And so the technique here is they take these cells out, they send them off to a lab. Yep. It takes about three or four weeks. They genetically re-engineer the cells so that they can now recognize the cancer cells. They become badasses. They do. They train them. It's like yeah. they've gone off to boot camp. Yeah. You know, and they you know. Become ninja. That's right. And they, 
And that takes a while, and that's the expense. That's why it's so expensive because this is almost hand done. You know, they're like you know every person who's doing it. But they're it, your they're, cells. They're my cells. They're getting re- genetically re-engineered with this whole amazing technique, and then they come back theoretically. They put so they in. so they take your cells, they do this procedure, yeah. and then what? Well, then, well, first of all, it didn't work the first time. When you say it didn't work, they take like, the cells, they but took then the they, cells out, they, they call you and say, off. "Oh, Mr. Downs, I'm sorry to yeah. tell you, we had a problem at the factory." They literally. Oh. It was so funny. And you negotiated but the it discount. It never happened before. This is, Mr. Downs, I don't know, this has never, you know, it's like, this has never wow. happened to me before, Mr. Downs. But um, I was going, oh, okay. So then you have to, I have to stay in Boston for another month. I'd already been there for a month and then another month and another month. Oh, those um, months, there must be like. And it was winter. Time is ticking by slowly. Oh my God. Yeah. You're and not sure how long you're going to live. Correct. And the doctor was be telling me, you know, we need to kind of get moving because we're kind of on the clock, you know? So, um. So anyway, they so they did it again. So I had to go back and get the blood taken out again. They send it off. Another month goes by, and then it comes back. And um, and then the idea, then basically, it's a little tiny vial, like a three milliliters, so um, like a couple of teaspoonfuls of liquid, and that's the killer T cells. That, that the ones they've trained up and do you know how many are in there? Did they like an estimate? I do two hundred million. Two hundred million. Two hundred million cells. Ready to and they, ready for and action. They put it right in the put it back in here, right? Over about ten minutes. Honestly, compared to chemotherapy, this was a breeze. You know, like yep. I'd done all the chemo, which was days and weeks and weeks and weeks. This was just like okay, okay. We're done. And then they have to, and then I hang around in case I get side effects because there's some pretty wicked side effects of the stuff for some people. Yeah. So I had to hang around the hospital for a month. But but David, this is your this is your immune this system. This is your working. last hope, though. This is like, it. Yeah, yeah. If this, this is didn't work, if this doesn't work. Yeah. It's hospice conversations. Yeah, the, whole, it's... the whole thing, yeah. yeah. Tell you what happened. So I had to wait for like three weeks to see what happened in my body and all the stuff is going on and I'm, and I'm, I'm curious. Then I do a thing called a PET scan, which is like a like the atomic level scan of the body. I did that on the, like 29 days after the infusion and I went in to see the doctor the next day <clears throat> to get the results. So it was a big, that was the big day. Like, this is it, you know. And I had Catherine on Skype because she was back in New Zealand uh, the doctor I had my friend Trevor there, and um, and he, he he just walked in the room. He's brilliant, this guy Jeff. And he said, "David, I'm just going to." He knows me quite well. David, I'm just going to talk so I can get a word in. Um, <laughs> your, it's the best possible scenario. There is no sign of cancer in your body, as far as we can see. You're in complete remission. And I was just like, "Wow, that really?" And he said, "Yeah, complete remission. There's no sign of cancer. The T cells have completely worked." And it was like, there was a lot of hollering and hugging and David, you're allowed to, <laughs> stuff like this. You must have had a few tears. Yeah, we had a few tears. Yeah, and then and I was said, your doctor with you at the time? The, 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 no, the, Catherine then drove around to my doctor in New Zealand's house because she knew where she lived, like nearby, not in a stalky way, but you know, just in a lovey way, and um, and told her. And it was it was a huge celebration. So I said to Jeff, my doctor in uh, Boston, I said, "Great, you know, it's worked. Wow, so what do I do now? Because after, when you're in the hospital for a year, there's always a doctor telling you what to do next." I said, "What do I do next?" And he went, "I don't care. So said, <laughs> Get on with your life. Get on with your yeah, life. Yeah, just go yeah, live. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Do, That's exactly what just, he said. Yeah. Just go live. Exactly what he said. And um, so that was wild. And and that was only a month ago now. And then I basically because of the clinical trial, I had agreed to keep getting tested but not for my benefit it's for their benefit you know so they're basically checking how well the t-cells live inside me because this is the other thing about this treatment compared to chemo it's a living treatment so i've got these t-cells now for maybe forever that's what they want to check so if cancer ever did decide to come back they would they would be fighting that same kind of cancer so that's what What a story yeah it's been wild been a wild ride 
So I finished my book. The other thing is, you know, I'd been telling you, I've been writing these columns every week. So that day, while I was waiting for the doctor, I wrote the column and I wrote three different endings for the column. Because I didn't know. I genuinely didn't know what was going to happen. I wrote the ending of it was bad news and the cancer was still there. And then I wrote the ending of it's ambiguous. We're not sure because that often happens. We can't tell. And then I wrote the happy ending version. And basically... When he told me the good news, I was like, yeah, come on, we had a hug. And I said, just hold on a second. And I opened up my laptop and I wrote the last line, which was just the option I chose was the happy ending option. And I posted it off and they, and they posted it live oh. like an hour later. So that, because I wanted everybody to know, even if it was bad news, I was going to tell everybody, but it turned out to be great news. Yeah. So that's been a, a wild ride, wild ride. It wasn't a great year and I wouldn't want to inflicted on anyone else but at the same time it was an amazing experience and yeah i'm blessed to have gone through it you know genuinely because that kind of experience makes you a better person yeah makes you a better person and you you learn a lot about yourself you learn about what makes you tick um you appreciate so much more about the world and other people and the friends and family that look after you and support the amazing doctors and nurses so actually i think it was probably one of the best years in a weird way of my life So we're just going to end uh, with these questions. Um, I guess this question might be an easy one to answer, but yeah. the last time you laughed so hard that you cried. Yeah, um, it was probably when my friends did a benefit show for me in Auckland. Like I said, they were raising money and a whole lot of comedians put on a big show. It was really cool. And and one of my friends, Jeremy, was doing this fake auction and he just couldn't get it right. He screwed it up badly. He kept giving away things when he shouldn't have and he was just he was just hopeless. I laughed so much I cried. That's exactly that day. That's yeah. a good and time. I was crying anyway, so it was a bit of an excuse. Okay, so yeah. I know you've been faced with this. If you were yeah. to take your last breath tomorrow yeah. at midnight, yeah. what would you do with the last 24 hours of your life? I can tell you that exactly because I wouldn't accept that I was going to take my last breath tomorrow. It's exactly the scenario. I would say, right, what can I do to avoid that being my last breath? You know, what? what? You're fixing it. Because you, you've got to be responsible for yourself. You know, you've got, you take control of the situation. If you just lie back and go, oh, okay, I'm going to die. And it would, you know, your, your mind gives up. I think that's one of the key things. If, you've, if you're focused on what's my, what's my purpose for today, how am I going to live the best day I can? And for me, that would be, I'm going to try. You must be living so hardest. differently now, right? Yeah, yeah. I've I mean, got, every, every minute you must savor in a very different way. I do, yeah, I do. And it's been this amazing talk because all these opportunities now sort of come about. That's why I say it's not, it wasn't the worst year of my life. It was one of the best because I'm, I'm ironically, here with you, for example. Yeah, you know? Ironically, though, right? Ironically, in a weird way, yeah. Not that you would wish it on people, but you know, that's how it's worked out. Okay, yeah. so a car trip. You're, you're going on a really long yeah car trip yeah see i'm saying car instead of car i know just hanging out with you yeah. um but you're on a on a car trip yeah and you could take anybody <laughs> from any period in history in yeah. the car with you three people yeah three i would pick uh, a guy called victor frankel he wrote a book called man's search for meaning uh which i read when i was in hospital i found enormously inspiring and i would recommend people in any scenario where they they feel hopeless to to look at this book it's all about your purpose, how, what's your purpose in life, but not in a big picture way and kind of a, like, how am I going to survive this next period of time? He was in the um, concentration camps in the war and he wrote this amazing book, amazing book. So Victor Frankl, um, the second person would be Sir Edmund Hillary, who was an amazing Kiwi. He was the first person, you would know this, he was the first person to climb Mount Everest in the 50s. Amazing, typical Christmas iconic, Day, 1953. Iconic Kiwi, big guy. And he, he said one of the most, I think, inspiring quotes. He said, it is not the mountain you conquer, but yourself. 
And I think for me, that's been a big part of this cancer treatment. Yeah, I, can, I had to cancer. I had to fight in chemotherapy and all this the cancer. But the reality was, it was a mind game. Most of it was a mind game. He also said we knocked the bastard off. He did, yeah, yeah. And exactly. you knocked cancer. Exactly. He's got two great quotes. In the ass. Yeah, and yeah. one more and person. can I tell you, I actually once helped him put his luggage in the overhead locker in a plane. Did you So really? I was like, Sherpa David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sherpa like, David. I, I jumped up. Can I help you, Sir Hillary? Sir Edmund? Yeah. All right. And, and the third person would person. be my wife because Catherine has been this incredible partner on the journey i when i talk about cancer i often talk about we went into hospital and we did this and we did this because the two of us just feel like we went through this whole experience together and in many ways it was harder for her than it was for me i was just the guy in hospital getting stuff done she was the poor person who was trying to keep the family together and kind of keep the relationships going with the kids and all that kind of stuff so she would be the third person david thank you man no worries it's nice to have you alive thanks my friend yeah if you have a really cool story that you want to share with us then why not share Maybe you'll become my next guest. Don't forget, you can watch this podcast online at philcogan.com.